Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. We go out every Thursday with our property show, so make sure you tell your friends and family that they should not miss it. On tonight's show, Christopher Joy predicts what the RBA will do in the future, and it's not cutting interest rates. Domain's CEO, Jason Pellegrino, confirms that the house price recovery is for real. And the CEO of PEXA says he's all seeing data also confirms housing is on a comeback trail. And without any further ado, let's just go to Chris Joy. Welcome to the program, Chris. Hi, mate. Now, you, you, you um, attacked me during the week on the phone by saying you got a big story. And when you say you got a big story, I know it's a big story. <laughs> And, and what you said actually surprised me because it's not what I hoped might happen. You believe that the Reserve Bank will engage in quantitative easing or QE, correct? Well, I think the big story was I wrote this on the 10th of May this year and um, I think I've been wanting to talk to you about it for some time. Uh, at that time in May this year, uh, everyone poo-pooed the idea that the RBA would do QE. Uh, I don't think the RBA was that interested. Obviously, the cash rate was back at 1.5%. Um, they've since obviously cut the cash rate to 0.75%. And the breaking news in the last week has been the <coughs> statement by the RBA um, that they are nearing the effective lower bound. And um, once they hit that effective lower bound in the cash rate, and I think there is a bit of a debate made as to whether that's 0.25% or 0.5, but just parking that for one moment. Mm. Um, the RBA said very clearly that once they hit the effective lower bound, they uh, will consider using other uh, monetary policy tools. And it's yes. the first time the RBA has talked about quantitative easing without putting it into the very unlikely um, camp. And they're the words they've used, you know, that it's very unlikely. Given the market is forecasting uh, a cut in February, and given the RBA in its own economic forecasts has inflation below target for as long as they can see and has the unemployment rate well above the full employment rate uh, that they assess uh, for uh, you know, the duration of their forecasts, it does seem like all roads are leading to QE as we forecast back in May. All right. Now, apart from you boasting about your overall brilliance in forecasting this, there are a lot of other issues that are really important. One, can you tell me what is what is the what are the odds of a rate cut in February? What is the market saying about that? Uh, it's more or less fully priced. Okay. Second uh, second thing, explain to my uh, viewers what quantitative easing will will mean in the Australian context. Yeah. So um, again, excuse the pun, but I have an unconventional take on unconventional monetary policy. Everyone thinks it's this kind of you know crazy brave. Um, you know, new paradigm uh, for the RBA. And there's no doubt that um, it would be an innovation in the way the RBA conducts monetary policy um, relative to what it's done in the recent past. But you've got to remember, as you would know better than me, mate, you know, in the 80s and 90s, the RBA was buying and selling the Aussie dollar to manage the uh, mm. exchange rate level. And when the Aussie dollar overshot uh, in either direction, the RBA could buy or sell that. And that's actually a form of quantitative easing. Um, the RBA is also very active in bond markets for a range of different reasons. But what is quantitative easing? Really, it is about the fact that there are many interest rates across the economy the RBA tries to influence. The obvious ones are the uh, interest rate on cash deposits and the interest rate on uh, home loans and business loans and personal loans. 
And the overnight cash rate that the RBA actually moves up and down is but one interest rate. And so there are all these other interest rates. Um, other uh, rates are the yields on government bonds. Uh, and they may be government bonds that are issued over three, five, 10, 15, 20 years. And once the RBA hits this effective lower bound, uh, most think it's 0.5% and we're at 0.75% for the overnight cash rate. Um, they will get basically no more pass-through from banks um, if they cut rates. And so they will need to look at targeting a broader range of interest rates. What, what would that practically involve? There are probably three um, potential paths for the RBA to take. The first thing the RBA can do is buy government bonds, right? And it would buy government bonds to bid up their price and to reduce the interest rate on those bonds or reduce the yield on those bonds. Yep. Now, doing that won't affect the interest rates depositors get on their savings accounts and it won't affect the, the cost of a home loan. But what it will do is uh, likely impact the level of the Australian dollar. The RBA, uh, I think its sense is the Aussie dollar is still perhaps a little high and it would like the Aussie dollar to be lower. And that will provide stimulus by making um, uh, you know, our exports cheaper and also making our import competing industries more effective. So the first thing I think the RBA is likely to do post-February or in February is start buying government bonds. The second thing the RBA could do if it feels like it needs more stimulus <clears throat> than just influencing the, the currency, which is not that novel again, because it used to do it in the 90s and 80s, um, is it could, it's, it currently lends money to the banks overnight through something called a repurchase arrangement. What the banks do is they put uh, collateral or bonds with the RBA and the, the RBA lends the money over very short terms, like overnight against that collateral. And it could extend the term of that lending out to say 6, 12, 18 or 24 months. Yep. What that would do is it would give the banks cheap money. And then the RBA could say, if you want to borrow from us at this really cheap interest rate, let's just say, they cut to 0.5% and they might lend to the banks at 0.75. And they might say, if you want to borrow from our CBA for one, two or three years at, a, at an interest rate of 0.75%, the condition of doing so is you have to pass on all of the, the cheap money to your customers. You can't, you can't profiteer. The final thing the RBA could do is lend money to banks a different way, and that is by investing in their bonds. So when a bank issues a bond, it's just like a bank issuing a, a bank deposit. So when you put money into a savings account, you are lending money to the bank, and they are paying you interest. Um, that accounts for about 60% of bank funding. 30% of the funding comes from bank bonds. So the bank CBA issues a bond to an investor like me. Um, they pay me an interest rate, and the RBA could start buying those bonds, therefore lending money to banks at cheaper interest rates, and that would then allow the banks to lower all interest rates. So um, it could allow the banks to offer high interest, higher interest rates on deposits, potentially. Um, but crucially, uh, the key point would really be that they would be able to lower uh, the cost of borrowing for corporates, small businesses, uh, personal borrowers and residential mortgage borrowers. And that would be a, a, an important innovation given the level of business confidence, wouldn't it? Well, I like you, Matt. I'm actually, funnily enough, bullish on the economy. So I think one, one thing viewers need to understand is the RBA is not doing this because there's a crisis. Not at all. House prices in April this year, when house prices were falling, I said they were going to rise by 10% nationally um, during the 12 months after the second RBA rate cut. We got cuts in June, July, and obviously house prices are booming in Sydney and Melbourne again. Uh, they're up over 6% in those cities since July. So the housing market is 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 very very buoyant. Um, commodity prices are eleva elevated. The jobless rate um, is quite low by historical standards. However, the rub for the RBA is this, and this is what viewers need to understand. QE is just about 
reducing overall interest rates. It's not an emergency measure. It's about, about making the RBA more effective through its monetary policy toolkit um, once they have exhausted one very narrow lever, which is the overnight cash rate. The reason they're resorting to these other measures is because the RBA has three mandates that we as Australians have legislated uh, that feel low the government of the RBA has to hit. The first is he has to keep inflation between 2 and 3%, and inflation is below that. It's sitting around 1.5%. So he wants to lift inflation, but he can't do that directly. The second is he has to get us to full employment. Full employment, the RBA believes, is between 4 and 4%, sorry, 4 and 4.4% in terms of the jobless rate. And the unemployment rate today has actually been drifting up and it's sitting at 5.3%. So Phil Lowe and the RBA are saying unemployment's at 5.3, it should be at 4 to 4.4, we can grow faster, right? And to let us grow faster or to help us grow faster, they, they can actually reduce the cost of capital. By getting the jobless rate down to 4 to 4.5, they'll encourage wages growth. And that's a, another problem for the RBA. Wages growth is way below its historical average. It's anemic. It's actually been dropping. So by increasing the demand for labour, by giving businesses cheaper money via the banks, uh, they'll employ more people. The jobless rate will fall to four to four and a half. In the US, it's at three and a half. Um, and in the UK, it's below 4%. We're stuck at 5.3. That will fuel wages growth. Eventually, that will bleed into consumer price inflation. And inflation should, over time, lift back up into the 2 to 3% band. The final goal the RBA has is to maximise the prosperity and welfare of the nation. And Phil Lowe has arrived at the conclusion, I think he's right about this, that getting the jobless rate back down to four to four and a half putting 100,000 Aussies who are currently on the dole back into work um, will fulfil their mandate. But to do that, they need QE. Mm, okay. Now, what about the alternative of Josh Frydenberg actually bringing forward the tax cuts as an alternative to all of that stuff? What do you think? Well, I think Josh is doing a very good job as uh, Treasurer. And I think he and Scott Morrison um, are absolutely right to focus on getting the budget back into surplus. Um, technically, in uh, the FY 2019 uh, financial year, uh, the budget was actually in surplus on the operating balance um, and the fiscal balance measures. There was a tiny 0.0% um, of GDP deficit on the underlying cash measure, but basically the, the budget is in surplus. I think you probably will consider bringing forward uh, stimulatory measures such as the tax cuts, such as some additional infrastructure spend, there's no doubt the government is looking at every way in which it can, um, I guess, accelerate some of the stimulus. Mm -hmm. uh, the surplus is, is um, accruing and it is significant, so that gives them a little flex. However, on the other hand, I think Scott Morrison and Joshua Frydenberg are hell-bent on repaying back the debt. The government has built a lot of debt. Everyone says, okay, well, if interest rates are so low, the government should just borrow more and spend more. Well, no, we've actually accumulated a huge legacy of debt from our response to the global financial crisis. And the thing, as you know, Peter, is it's much easier for an independent central bank like the RBA to lift interest rates, to normalise interest rates, than it is for politicians who tend to be spendthrifts and who tend to be myopic and populist to get a budget back into surplus. So we've had non-stop deficits from 2008 through to 2019. We've just got, after a decade, the budget over a decade, the budget back into surplus. Um, and I think kind of throwing or junking the surplus in the name of um, uh, relieving the pressure from the RBA is not the right solution. I think there's okay. a halfway house. Okay, one last one. Yeah. The, 
what a lot of people are thinking is, as interest rates come down, a lot of people are getting a bit spooked about the fact that interest rates are, are, are coming down. And as a consequence, they're paying off their debt, they're getting rid of their home loans quicker. In, in many ways, it's like the paradox of thrift, isn't it? Because we haven't got an injection to offset the increased saving. What's your view on that? The former <coughs> economics professor speaks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I hope this isn't the last question, mate. I, I, I'm expecting to speak for another 30 or 45 minutes. Oh, get, give us a break. You can come back next week. Go on. <laughs> um, so I kind of don't... I, on the one hand, I kind of buy this, this narrative that the rate cuts have spooked uh, consumer confidence and so forth. And certainly there is a view in the government, senior government ministers are of the view that the rate cuts have undermined confidence. But I also think it's a bit of BS insofar as, yes... No doubt, I think folks might have been scratching their heads um, when <clears throat> the rate cuts have come through and you know the three cuts and we've only got limited pass-through from the banks and folks might have been asking asking the question why. Um, but you know there are pretty good explanations. House prices nationally fell 11%. That's the biggest fall in house prices we've seen in over 40 years. Sydney house prices were off 15% peak to trough. Um, <clears throat> you know wages growth is anemic. The jobless rate had drifted up. Um, so there are you know, absolutely reasonable bases mm. for the RBA to be cutting. My point is, to the extent that there might have been a little bit of deer-in-the-headlight-style deer in confusion, the practical reality is, mate, the housing market is booming again. The transmission mechanism, which is economic sort of uh, wonk or you know, speak or you know, the economic jargon for the way the RBA stimulates the economy, it's absolutely still working. <clears throat> and you and I, we're homeowners, we feel wealthier. We're watching mm. Sydney house prices boom. And I think that will, you know, on a second order derivative basis, feed back into confidence. We're seeing uh, improvements in CapEx. So businesses are starting to invest. Um, we're actually running also the biggest current account surplus we've more or less ever run in a very, very long time. Uh, and, you know, commodity prices, as we discussed earlier, remain high. And I think you'll see mining companies <clears throat> starting to reinvest. So. The outlook, I think, for the West Coast, it will become uh, potentially uh, somewhat more positive. Okay. So I, th I think my, my summary to that, or the, the, the summary point here is there might be some short-term anxiety. And we had a confusing election where people, a lot of folks thought Labor would win. That obviously wasn't what we forecast. We anticipated a ScoMo victory. Um, but, you know, the spectre of uh, you know, capital gains tax on housing doubling, or sorry, increasing by 50%, uh, negative gearing going, you know, cash refunds on franking credits going. There was a lot of volatility <clears throat> and a lot of uncertainty there. And I think now that um, uh, the the situation is starting to stabilise mm. um, and the rate cuts are starting to have an impact, I think that there will be an improvement in consumer confidence. Well, okay. Gia, wait a second. Let me finish. Don't cut <laughs> me off, mate. Don't you dare cut me off, Peter Switzer. Um, well, other good questions. Go on. Okay. We also are seeing, I think, potentially, and I, I'm, I'm very, very hesitant to say this, but there are some positive portents in terms of geopolitics. You know, a hard Brexit seems to be off the table, at least until the British election. <clears throat> we have um, some positive signs on trade. The Hong Kong situation is concerning. But if we can get through Hong Kong, Brexit and trade, I think, um, you know, 2020 could be a ball terror. And that's why I think there's, re there's grounds for optimism uh, in the outlook. And we have a lot more stimulus now in the bank care of the outlook. Okay, okay. One last, last question again is... Are you happy to name your deep throat at the central bank who keeps giving you all this inside information? 
Mate, <laughs> are you serious? Like, I, the RBA absolutely hates my guts. There has never been a more critical publicly uh, mainstream commentator uh, when it comes to the RBA. Um, I'm sure that, like you, they think I'm arrogant, lacking in humility, not lacking in conviction. Um, and uh, no, listen, I actually have a good relationship. Um, good relationships is probably not the right characters, right? The correct characterization. I have a very civil relationship when I speak to those guys, like you know, Guy Deville and so forth. Um, I know they read my stuff pretty closely, um, but they're, they're the only people who can understand it, mate. They're the only people who can understand it in the world. <laughs> um, but, but. Uh, yeah, that, I don't talk to them at all about this okay. stuff in any way, shape, or form. I mean, obviously, we've had some success with our macro forecasts, um, and you you might have noticed that uh, FE Analytics yesterday uh, awarded us a prize for being one of the top 10 alpha managers in Australia based on our risk-adjusted returns and our track record across products and portfolio managers. Um, I know that was uh, something that you were focusing on intently, mate, yeah. but, <laughs> but, um, but no, no. It's just pure horsepower, mate. We, we, okay. just, we just look at the data and try and arrive at sensible conclusions. All right. As always, Chris, thanks for your time, mate. Thank you, buddy. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Tell us what it's like to be running a company like Domain. I'm having fun. It's yeah. one of Australia's leading technology companies. It's operating in a sector that matters to Australians. Yeah. You know, there are, property is really at the heart of a lot of what we do. It's a lot of why people have come to this country. It's a lot of, you know, supports a lot of wealth. And so to, to be in a technology industry that's growing mm. in a sector that matters, it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. What's happening to the sector? So there's a lot of different movements. It's, it's a complex environment and there's not one sector. No. So movements in Sydney versus Melbourne, uh, other capital cities, regional areas, it's very complex. Now, Obviously, we've had, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, some of the most uh, difficult listing environments over the, the, the last several months that we've, we've seen for many years. In mm. fact, June, July, in terms of listing volumes, you'd have to go back to 1990, 91 to get any form of comparable. Mm. Uh, and just remembering, that's when you know, house prices were down significantly. Westpac mm. was on the brink of, of bankruptcy. So yeah. extraordinary mm. times. Mm. Uh, we've seen a fairly rapid recovery on buy side interest and demand. Mm. But, you, know, you can see that in uh, auction clearance rates, you can see that in prices moving in certain sectors across the market and, 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 and rising. You're also seeing in some of the sort of the data points and, that we see behind the scenes, uh, things like attendance at open home inspections we see ha have dramatically lifted and there's a lot more intensity in terms mm. of people's interest in buying property. Mm. The listings are yet to recover to pre-downturn levels, mm. but we're definitely seeing month-on-month -month improvements. Okay. So before this job, were you a, a, a property tragic like most Australians? Oh, look, I think like most Australians, I was a property tragic from way back, <laughs> yeah. and my parents were property tragics. Yeah. And you know, even before this job, I was, at, I was at Google for 10 years, and mm. I spent a lot of time in the, the, the property sector and working with property. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the really interesting things that I, that I learned at Google is that Australians are property tragics, mm. but not just in, in words, in actions. Mm. So you know, property searches per capita by Australians are twice any other market yeah. in the world. Like, we care about it. Yeah, and, and is it saying then that even if we're not necessarily in the market, we could be, and therefore we're, we're, we're having a bit of a look to see what maybe our place is worth and what's buyable out there? I think everyone is either in the market mm. 
about to be in the market yeah. or wanting to be in the market. Okay. So that's definitely the case. Okay, so your last results, I think, was it revenue was down 6% or, or your earnings were down 6%? Uh, so we had uh, an impact across both of those. Mm -hmm. um, revenue was down 5% after adjusting for uh, a movement that we made in terms of a deferral, like extending the length of our products. Yeah. We did that because it is a tough environment and we're mm -hmm. trying to support the aged community and, and trying to actually allow our products to match the marketplace where properties are just staying a little bit longer on market. Okay. So what is the key ingredient for you to make money? Yeah, so imagine someone says, I'm interested in investing in your company. And as yes. a CEO, you're, you're going to tell us how to do that. But the bottom line is, what are the, the key drivers that are going to really help your business? So we are aligned with the success of our agent customers. Mm -hmm. We're aligned with the success of our users, whether they're buyers or sellers, mm -hmm. whether they're renters, <coughs> investors, a whole different segment of those. So really, at the end of the day, we are um, at... Uh, the mercy or our, our business relies on listing volumes. Yeah. And so listing volume declines and listing volume increases are important and they're fundamental drivers. However, one thing that we've really changed over the last 12 months is we don't control listing volumes. No. And so we are really focusing on all our attention, all our efforts and all our capabilities on what we do control. Mm. And what we do control is just making sure that we have the products that meet the needs of our agents yeah. and their vendor clients mm and that meet the needs of our users. Mm. And that's where we've really started to make some change and we've seen some, some, in, some increase, uh, improvement over the last 12 yeah. months. But obviously you're, you're kind of implying that if Australians got out of their funk and started listing their properties Absolutely. and the supply went up, the more, more properties, there are more ads for those properties. Absolutely. And that's better for your bottom line. Absolutely. And you know, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne mm. where you have you know, higher volumes of properties and higher sort of price points, um, areas that we have you know, particular strength across that, um, that, that is really important for our mm. business. And we're seeing really strong signs of the, the supply side of the marketplace listing starting to improve and going through. And most of the agents that we work, through, work with mm. uh, and partner <clears throat> with are, are really sort of looking forward to the next autumn cycle. Yeah. It's a very cyclical market in Australia, yeah. which is unique, mm. um, and have sort of positive lines of sight. Okay. Obviously, you, you couldn't have come to this business as an expert on what explains why Australians will put their property on the market. Yes. But obviously now you're in this position, you must be studying it night and day because ultimately it's going to be an important part of your business. Why do you think Australians are holding back in putting their property on the market? So I think it's impossible to actually get to a point of what drives someone to put their property mm. on the market because... It's a very personal decision. Yeah. But there are general trends. So on the long run property volume transactions across yeah. Australia mm. are relatively consistent. You get short term volatility. So if we unpack that, long run, why do properties get traded? They don't get traded because you don't put your property in the market because you like the price generally. Mm. The vast majority of properties are put because of some sort of life decision. Mm. It's births, deaths, marriages, divorces, immigration, new jobs, downsizing, downsizing ageing population. These yeah. are really long-term demographic trends. Yeah. And that, they've been relatively stable. Yeah. What you do though, is you get short-term volatility because people can actually pick the timing of those actions mm. um, based upon their confidence. Mm. And this is where it moves beyond, the property market moves beyond just basic underlying demographics and confidence is such an important part. Mm. And com what we've seen in the last 12 months to 18 months is 
confidence can disappear very, very quickly. Uh, it can re-enter very, very quickly on the demand side, mm. but it's much more slow in, in re-entering when you're looking to sell your house. So you can very, very quickly make a decision to pull your mar property off the market or not list it. Mm. You probably want to wait a little bit longer to be truly confident to make that jump. Yeah. So uh, are you saying then the fact that demand is growing pretty strongly post-election, post-interest rate yep. cuts and whatever, we haven't seen the supply response yet but did you say to me a moment ago that you're starting to see some signs that might be starting to increase? Yes, so we, we've seen consistent growth in listings on comparable basis um, every month since July, yep. August, September. And, and we've got decent line of sight into next year and it looks pretty, <coughs> pretty, pretty promising. Um, still not bouncing back to you know, the peak time, boom times, particularly in 2017 when there was probably excess volatility, excess, volatility, mm. excess stock in the marketplace. Um, but a lot of the fundamental drivers of the volume decline have reversed out. So, you know, regulatory interventions, investor caps, um, caps on interest only um, have reversed out. Mm. Um, the Royal Commission has worked its way through the system. And that had a really big impact on the speed mm. and the volume of loan approvals. Yep. And that has started to open back up. And we see that in our domain loan finder business, where there is not only significant demand, for people seeking loans, mm. but the banks and the broader financial sector have actually sped up the process of approving it, and we're seeing an in, a significant increase in pre-approved loans ready to find a home, okay. ready to find a property. Okay. Um, controversial area, and I'm sure you, you came across it. You had, you had one expert on house prices saying, yes, they're rising, and there's a house price recovery going on, then another one said, oh no, it's, it's not as, as, as clear-cut as they were saying, we won't name names. Obviously, you have a vested interest to, to know which one you, you agree with. Would you say that the general rebound in house prices, Sydney and Melbourne in particular, um, is very believable? So we have a vested interest in being right. Hmm, we have value, uh, our mission is about inspiring mm -hmm. confidence. Yeah. And so we're really clear <clears throat> about putting messages out into the marketplace that are backed by you know, research and fact, and we've invested in the data to do that. Yeah. So. The interesting answer is they're both right. Mm. It depends on what lens you put. So what we are seeing is strong price rebounds in certain sectors of the Sydney and Melbourne market. Yep. So uh, I think that there is uh, some narratives out in the marketplace around um, inner city, Sydney and Melbourne, bouncing and sort of higher price properties. Mm. It's actually even more nuanced than that. So Sydney has recovered about a third of the price growth when you're looking at medium properties yep. since the peak. And we're seeing that close even further. Melbourne's recovered about half. So it's mm. bounced back. Yeah. But it's in certain sectors. So the one to $1.5 million house uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, it, we're seeing sort of pretty significant 4 to 5% growth over the last quarter, okay. which is pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. If, if you annualise that out. If you, uh, Melbourne, we're seeing also quite slightly lower, but quite significant yeah. unit price growth. In Sydney, the unit price growth has been stagnant, mm. and in some areas, particularly the lower end of those unit prices, you're actually still seeing some price declines. Mm. The impact of fears around apartments being built badly and cladding, is that having a big impact in Sydney? Quality of stock was definitely an impact on top of uh, investor caps, on top of foreign buyer um, controls, a range of different aspects, but quality was definitely one. Mm. And we saw, particularly on the developer side and, 
and pre-sales particularly, um, a real drop in demand. Mm. Uh, pre-sales is an interesting sector in that um, they can quickly, supply side of that can quickly close out because pre-sales are typically conducted before you know, sign off on, on actual construction. Mm. And if you don't get a certain level of pre-sales, uh, the, the finances, financing this are, are, not at, you know, are not going to um, extend the credit against it. So what you're seeing is as the demand side pulled out of that really quickly, also the supply side. Now, what that means is um, the volume of construction activity through this is declined significantly. Mm. And there are a lot of people pointing to you know, a potential undersupply of stock two years out mm. when this gap should have been hitting the marketplace. So that's going to be quite interesting. Okay. Just take us down the, the telescope that you use to see where domain's heading for the next year ahead. What do you think is going to happen? So we are looking at um, a, a, a gradual improvement in listing volumes and a continuous improvement in listing volumes. I think that it would be un... Unlike, we would be unlikely to see the levels of fever that we did see sort of in that late 2016, yeah. 2017 period. Um, but confidence is definitely in, in back, entering back into the marketplace. I think we continue to see price rises, particularly mm -hmm. in Sydney and Melbourne. I think outside of Sydney and Melbourne where the price rises weren't as dramatic and also the price falls haven't been as dramatic is, is also improvement, but probably at a, at a tempered pace. Um, Brisbane particularly, some markets like Canberra that actually have been very, very strong for a period of time mm. are just taking their foot off the pedal a little bit at the moment, but yeah. we don't see any dramatic movements there. Okay. Um, I, you know, I think that it's an incredibly attractive time at the moment for people who are looking or expecting to sell their property because buyer demand is substantial. We mm. have some of the highest auction clearance rates that we've seen consistently across the country. Time mm. on market is really low. You're starting to see off-market transactions start to move in, in premium areas, very small volumes, but that, that has always historically been a sign and a, and, a, and a clear signal of a mismatch of demand and supply. Mm. Uh, when demand and supply move back, you, you start to move to more not sort of normal market conditions. Jason, I hope you're right. Thank you, Peter. Jason Pellegrini of Domain. For those doubters out there who doubt that the housing sector is making a strong comeback, I have to say the one body that sees every transaction going on in the housing sector, that's PEXA, they say it's actually coming back. I'm now going to be talking to the CEO of PEXA, Marcus Price. Thanks, uh, great to be here. Yeah. Now, look, let's start from the basics. Most people don't really know what PEXA is. So, uh -huh. so tell us what PEXA is. Well, PEXA is to property what the stock exchange or CHESS is to share trading. So we do the electronic lodgement and settlement. We're the end of each property transaction. And PEXA does about 70% of all property in Australia right mm. now. Mm. And it, that's come about in a very short period of time, by the way. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not surprised people are not aware of it, but we've, we've touched a lot of transactions. And I guess the lawyers or whoever conveys yeah, yeah. they don't have to tell you how it's done. No. We just want to get it no, done. No, no, no. We've actually surveyed people. So what you find is about 40% of people don't know how the transaction happens. So yeah. to them it's irrelevant yeah. and, and it, as long as it happens on time, which is also a big feature of yeah. PEXA making transactions happen on time. What was wrong with the old system? Oh, it was, uh, well, 30% of transactions experience or property transactions experience some sort of problem. Mm -hmm. Delays, people not getting into houses and 
It's a process that's got lots and lots of paper handoffs, checks going places, going missing, paperwork not being signed properly, not effectively done. So it was, an, I guess, a process that was error prone at, at its very heart and, yeah. and caused a lot of, um, the, the real life consequence was people didn't go into houses when they wanted to. Uh, you know? So there's human error. A lot of that. Yeah. yeah. Which led to costly Rework. costs on both businesses and the customers. Yes. Mistakes often passed on in terms of time charges and whatever. Exactly. And mum and dad end up in the in the in the driveway of the of the house not able to move in. And that's what the real world consequence was, yeah. you know, when it really breaks down. And that's that's the real the cost that you don't see, you don't put a dollar on that, but the, the pain and suffering uh, when you talk to people about those <coughs> events in their life is really quite extreme. So, so I guess what you're talking about there, and I hadn't thought about this, mm. there, there are, I know there have been times in my life when you've sold a property and someone's knocking on the door and you're ringing up the solicitor to say, well, Can has I? the transaction been it, it, com completed? Exactly. And if there hasn't been, you don't let them in. Exactly. Until the, and, and sometimes it has been completed, but maybe the secretary at the, at the right. office doesn't know and gives the wrong information. Exactly. And everyone's really cheesed off. Exactly. And there's not, so one of the other big criticisms of the previous process was a real lack of transparency. Hmm. No one really knew what, exactly what was going on and where we were up to, you know. So, yeah, um, and I, and yeah. I guess some people exploited that as well. Uh, yeah, I think as well. Uh, I think it was more, more accidents uh, of, of human nature than, than I would say intent. Okay. Yeah. So tell us, you know, I, I say most people think Pixar is related to Steve Jobs and Pixar. There's <laughs> 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 a great selection of names. Well, it was, it, property, it, it was Property Exchange Australia, so I, I, I'm not sure what Pixar stands for, but <laughs> I, I still think we have a greater claim. <laughs> yeah, good point, good point. So um, the impact uh, in terms of... Um, the, the process now. Mm. How does PEXA ensure that when someone gets on the driveway with the truck mm. behind them, mm. that everything's been done? Well, you've got an electronic, you, you, everybody can see the transaction. PEXA is an electronic transaction. So the so customer? Well, we've got, yes, we've uh, got, if, if they elect to take the option of having our tracker application, yes, they can literally see the gee. transaction in real time, yeah. which, is a, which is a fantastic uh, innovation. But it's also the case that there's transparency through the whole transaction to all parties. So okay. unlike the paper world where you know, conveyance or lawyer be working in isolation in their office, in the PEXA world, because it's electronic, everyone can see what everyone's doing at all times. So you mm. get this real collaborative exercise to make sure the transaction happens, yeah. as opposed to turning up in a room and finding out there's a, a mistake. Okay. I've read that this could be, um, well, PEXA should be good for mortgage brokers who, yeah. who really want to watch What's actually going yep. on in the process? Yes. Have, have mortgage brokers so far taken up the, that option? Well, mortgage brokers certainly get the information via their banks because yeah. we're, we're one step away from the mortgage brokers. But yeah. they're certainly getting benefits because they can see, again, as with all parties in the transaction, can get a view of the transaction, which mm. they would never previously have got. Previously, mm. they hand over the paperwork to whichever bank they've used, mm. and then it's just a question of like, ringing up, getting emails, or you know whatever to try to keep track of a transaction. Okay. Mm. Do the banks like Pexa? Yeah, they love Pexa. Mm. Yeah, it's been a real, I mean, to see something come from, uh, look, literally three or four years ago, we were a single digit percentage of the property market to today doing 70% of it. You don't get uptake like that if yeah. you're not doing something well. Why is there 30% that haven't jumped oh, it's, on board? It's just, oh, it's just timing. It's primarily just Queensland. It's just a phasing effect because we worked by state. So for example, in, uh, in Victoria, we're doing 98% of property. In, in New South Wales, more than 92%. Uh, it's very variable by state. Queensland's probably just under 10%. So Queensland's just a later adopter, uh, just for reasons of, uh, I guess, timing. Yeah. Okay, so... When, they're, they're rapidly adopting though, so yeah. Okay, righty. So, who owns it? Ah, well, <laughs> it's owned nowadays. Well, it was at one, one time owned by the major banks and by, uh, I guess, um, 
uh, uh, the state governments. Mm. Today it's owned by uh, Morgan Stanley Infrastructure, a Link Market Services mm. and uh, CBA Bank. So okay. they are, and they, they essentially see this as an infrastructure business, which is mm. what Pexer really is. It's become a, a piece of property infrastructure. Mm. Mm. I read somewhere where you said uh, this is like Facebook. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of people watching this... Well, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, call, what's that? A nice Facebook. A nice okay. Facebook, yes. Okay. <laughs> not that Facebook's not no, nice. no, no, I like Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so why would you say that? Because it, it would make a lot of people enthousi more enthusiastic about the concept of Pixel. Well, it is a, it is a network, right? Yeah. So, for example, it only works when everybody's in the transaction. So mm -hmm. Facebook doesn't work if you haven't got, haven't got someone to talk to. Pixel's yeah. the same. We only exist as an intermediary, so we only can work when all parties are in the transaction. That's yeah. the first thing. Second thing is, just as Facebook made, I guess, information you know about individuals more available, so do we make information about the property transaction more available and transparent. Yeah. And it's <coughs> essentially it's like publishing the transaction, if you like, yeah. only to the parties who need mm. to know, of course. Yeah. I guess it's a bit like that ad for Star Trek Express. You can actually see where yeah. your parcel is at any exactly. point in time. In fact, that's the model we used. We, we, we certainly yeah. said, well, if you, if, you, if you want to know where your pizza is, you can get an app, but you don't know where your property transaction's up to. It seemed to us that that was a, yeah. something missing. Okay, so does it also then um, show who's dragging the chain? Uh, it, can, it can do, yes. Uh, although what tends to happen in a property transaction, there's dependencies between parties. So one party has to do something, then someone else has to do something. So there's lots of handoffs. What you tend to find in PEXA, which you never got in, in, in paper, was that if someone is dragging the chain, the other parties can see that and actually help them through the process. So you get this very collaborative process because everyone wants that transaction to happen. Yeah. And in, in, the, in the bad old days, you know, you turn up in a room and maybe the other party hasn't done something correctly. You don't yeah. know until you're in the room. Right. Yeah. And then it's a, then there's a lot of finger pointing and blame goes on. Right? So, it's so like, it's like cooperative uh, project management. Absolutely it is, because it's a collaborative space. Yeah. So you can see everything. And that's what makes the big difference. And I, I think that's why we've seen a lot of practitioners and, and banks really love this, because mm. for the first time they can communicate and collaborate rather than sort of worry about whether they're going to get blamed for something, if you know what I mean. So. What was the status of, uh, of non-tech savvy participants in the industry before you guys came along? Uh, well, I think the lawyers and practitioners were certainly, um, some of them were quite challenged by, by yeah. adopting new technology and, and PEXA is not an easy system. You, you can't just jump on a PEXA yeah. as, a, as a member of the public, you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. It's built for people with expertise. Yeah. So. There was a little bit of, um, I think, resistance initially. It's um, it's a bit like me when I have to if I go from the Android phone to the iPhone. You know, you've got to learn something new, and yeah. uh, it takes about four or five transactions to get the hang of it. To be mm. honest, it's a, it's a it's a complicated system. So th there were people who resisted that, I think, yeah. initially. But once they once they've done those transactions, the our, our uh, NPS score is 65. Yeah. So we get incredibly good ratings from those who use the system. Yeah. Mm. So, but when you said it's difficult for people to. Initially, yeah. yeah, it's a change. But they're the participants. For people who just want to look, because you're oh no, if you look, it's, it's easy. easy. No, no it's yeah. a track. If you're not acting in the work, if you're not acting, if you're just watching it, that's yeah. fine. That's easy. That's a, that's literally a tracking app on your phone. Yeah, that's that's as easy as tracking your pizza. Well, for, but as consumers, it, it'd be great to know that people can't falsify reasons for not. You know, doing their job. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, exactly. So you should, you know, if anyone is in a property transaction, they can ask their pra their practitioner for the tracking app. It doesn't cost anything. It's mm. a free service. It's part part of what Pexa does. So okay. it's uh, just if, if and some practitioners like using it and some don't for various yeah. reasons. So. Okay. I always like to ask, you know, was, was something that a lot of people don't really know, and I haven't actually bought a property since Pexa was in. I think. No, you're, uh, you're not a customer yet. Yeah, but <laughs> we will be one day. Good. Uh, the, the the question is, is there anything else that people 
need to know. I've asked you many questions mm. that you, you've stimulated me to ask. Is there <laughs> any other important things that people know, should know about PEXA? I think PEXA is um, part of a bigger chain, change that's going on in property, which is a digitisation of the process. You're going to see a lot more. We enable a lot of other digital tools and innovations to happen. So it's going to be... Um, PEX is not something that most people will know much about. It's a bit mm. like the chess system in share trading. You don't really know, not many people know what that is. It's buy and sell shares. Yeah. But what you will see is there's going to be a proliferation and change in the way property works in the next few years. It mm. will be a lot more, it'll be more faster, it'll be safer, it'll be more efficient, and there will be a lot more new innovations happening around the PEXA, mm. PEXA platform. So, so it, because it enables, it, it, it enables, prior to PEXA, you, you were stuck mm. in the world, you had to have paper at the end of the process. Yeah. So. And you were dependent on people. Yeah. Um, all right, so my headline for this story, <laughs> which could be, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, PEXA will take away the pain of buying and selling a property. Well, we, that is certainly, we, we certainly have done that. Um, we're very uh, pleased to have done that. We haven't solved everything. There are yeah. still issues. Uh, there still like will what? be issues. Oh, well, it's still the case. things can still go wrong. I mean, just because people are still putting things in the yeah. system. Yeah. Getting payout mm. figures on time is often quite challenging, for example, for, for practitioners. And those sort of things can still have, transactions can still shift. The difference is we actually now know why and where and okay. how long. So, yeah. So, it means you, you actually can point the finger of blame at the right person. <laughs> yes, Texas does that. Well, I'm not sure that's the headline. But quite <laughs> I think it's more about getting a collaborative outcome for, for, yeah. for people buying that this property. Anybody yeah, watching yeah, yeah. this, mate. I feel far more aggressive than that. But <laughs> Marcus sure. has some really good, important information. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Now, one final question, uh, Marcus, is you guys actually have a window on what's actually going on. We you've do. got the sales, you've got the, the refinancing, that sort yep. of stuff. So what are you seeing? Well, we saw, uh, first of all, obviously at the start of this year, there was a major downturn in the property market, the steepest and sharpest decline, even larger than the GFC, but it mm. didn't last very long. Once the federal election went, went we got through that, property definitely started recovering. So for example, right now we're seeing uh, refinance volumes at almost record levels, mm -hmm. and so they're 13% above the same quarter last year. Uh, and not only that though, um, what we're also seeing is a, ch a change in the mix. So for the first time ever that we've seen, the big four banks are doing less than half of refinance. There's mm -hmm. been a very significant shift of refinancing into the into the non-bank non, lenders, the non the non-major non banks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's been quite an interesting uh, change, and it's also the case that we're seeing larger size properties. The average price, the average value of those refinances is quite high, mm -hmm. which kind of suggests that the bigger properties are being refinanced at a pretty high rate mm -hmm. and tending towards. Uh, non-big four banks as, mm. a, as a trend. And uh, also we can see, one of the things PEXA can see, is we can see forwards because we see the transactions before they happen mm. and we can see the run-up to this end of year is going to be pretty pretty, pretty high. There's okay, a large so when you see here. headlines about uh, yeah. rising house prices and strong yep. sales, yep. you believe it? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt the market is back. Uh, it, it still, mind you, it still hasn't quite got back to 2017 levels. If we go Good. back a further, yeah, <laughs> it's probably too much. we're about 2% under where we were in 2017. So, right. there's, but there's definitely been a rebound and there's definitely, it seems to be uh, disproportionately affecting the refinance market and the higher value properties as well. So, Great. and it's, it's, uh, mm. Yeah, it's good to have it back, I have to say. It was, yeah. uh, it was troubling for a lot of people when the market was off 20, 25%. Yeah. Yeah. It's Marcus Price for, from PEXA.